0: campuses join us over in the Fox Valley and Stevens Point. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, And the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. And again, good morning to those over at the Fox Valley and Stevens Point campus. Uh, Before we go any further, we want to take our offering before the pastor forgets, which he has been known to do. Um, uh, Those of you who want to give a check or something or cash, uh, you can do it on the way out this morning at our various campuses. There will be some with buckets and stuff, and you can, well, buckets, big barrels, (laughs) No, they'll be having something. I don't know what they're going to have. Anyway, toss it in there. Uh, uh, many of you give online. Uh, more and more are getting into recurrent giving. That is the best thing. If you're a member of Celebration Church, and you think, you know, I love this place. I want to help support it. The best way I can is to sign up for recurrent giving. It just happens automatically. And uh, And hopefully we can get to the place where we just stop taking offerings all together. Many churches in America, I go to them all the time as I travel around the country, no longer take any offerings because 90% of the congregation is at recurrent giving. Do we know what our percentage is? We, have we a clue? 40%? We so We could find You know, we probably could find, we could find out. If I knew who was in charge of this organization, I could find out. But I <laughs> have no idea who that is. But anyway, to get to that point would be fabulous. Uh, many of you give online directly to our, uh, on our website, or you can give via your phone, actually, I too shall participate this morning, is uh, you can go to, you're going to send a text to this number. Get your text thing, and you're going to send the number to, <laughs> duh, I know it is, You just can't have buttons here, 77977, seven, seven, seven. there we go. That's the number you're going to send the text to. And in the text message, you're going to type CCWI, which stands for Celebration Church Wisconsin, space and then the dollar amount and send boom just like that you gave in the offering so there he got it (laughs) whoever he is mr computer all right so you can do that way and uh and we appreciate you being faithful and giving to the church it helps us continue to do what we were doing uh we met with our banker was it this week it's all a blur you um and uh We had some positive conversation with them. We're going to be doing our uh, state of the union, if you will, to the church. We're still scheduling that. We're probably just going to do a gigantic Zoom meeting uh, and do it that way. Uh, And and we'll give you more details and stuff. But the church is doing financially better than it ever has in the last 15 years of history that I've been here. (laughs) And uh, the bankers were really rather surprised. And and we're actually talking about refinancing our deal, because our deal that we got into 15 years ago is horrible. And uh, and we are finally to the point, and they were saying it, we're going to come back with an offer. So praise the Lord. We'll actually see what they come up with. (laughs) Uh, So uh, anyway, it's all because of your faithfulness. And the more we stick together, the more we can grow and do great things for the kingdom of God. Uh, This morning... Uh, is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. The first day of Lent was uh, Wednesday, where we had our Ash Wednesday service, a great service uh, that we, we had in our various campuses. But, uh just just really interesting thing to do. Probably the most liturgical type of thing that we do, very structured and stuff, but meaningful. And you say, well, does the Bible tell us to do that? No, no, it doesn't. Uh, there's a lot of things that we do the Bible doesn't tell us to do. Uh, But it's not contrary to the Bible. For example, the Bible never said go to church in a car. (laughs) We do it nonetheless. Um, It's not against the Bible, uh, but it's just not everything is mentioned. And a lot of these things come from uh, church traditions uh, over the thousands of years of of, uh, church history. Now, whenever we do anything, our church is, uh, one of these churches, as, as we've struggled to explain who we are, over these many years. uh, Last year, I finally found the word for it, convergent, uh, which means we blend the evangelical, the scriptures, the charismatic, the gifts of the spirit, and the liturgical sacramental, and we blend them all together in varying degrees. And uh, last year, I found out (laughs) the word for it was convergent churches. Apparently, they're popping up all over the world. I did not know that. I've often thought we were just the only weirdos who did this. I don't know. So, uh, you know, um, I uh, put out a. Some of you follow me on Facebook. Uh, I put out a thing last week about conversion churches. I says, are there any other churches out there that are like us? And I got contacted from pastors all over the place, from uh, Florida, all over the United States, Canada, Portugal, Africa, and they're saying that's what we've been doing. And most of them said we didn't know there was a word for it either. <laughs> so uh, we're kind of excited about it. We're c- connecting with these guys and and uh, trying to learn from each other. So we're at the very beginning stages of that part of it. Uh, but anyway, so it's real interesting. Now, <clears throat> whenever we do anything that has a liturgical touch to it, and again, it's just a light touch that we do, as you've seen, in our services. Um, most of us here at this congregation, after our congregations here in Wisconsin, immediate, you know, most of us, 80% of us are ex-Catholics. <clears throat> so the minute we do something like that, everybody thinks, oh, they're Catholics. <laughs> no, no, we're not Catholics. <laughs> long way from being Catholics. And and the truth of the matter is, there are countless millions of Christians all over the world who worship in a liturgical fashion that are not Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics are the big daddies on the block, but there's a lot of them that are Protestant churches. that, if you walked into it, you would think, because they're full liturgical with their robes and the whole thing. Uh, They're not Catholics. They are... uh, Protestants, just like we are, and preach the gospel just like we do. But that's the way they, because a lot of this stuff that they uh, connect with uh, is from church history, most of it in the first 300 years of Christianity. Um, <clears throat> and the, it's called the patristic period where the, the church fathers, all after the apostles started doing church. And a lot of these traditions got, some of them uh, we think are great and consistent with, uh, with the Bible. The main thing for us is the scripture. We built everything on the scripture. And then if there's some of these traditions, we know oh, these are kind of neat, and it's consistent with the scriptures, we, we do that. Not everything that they did there uh, do I subscribe to. Some do, I don't. Um, they, there's this thinking that if they did it in the first 300 years, that it has to be right. And I go, nay, nay, I say unto thee, nay. Uh, just because they did it in the first 300 years, doesn't I mean they did it right. Uh, what's our standard for what's right? The scriptures, right? Right. Uh, Case in point, the United States of America, what, 250, 275 years, 275 years into this now? Stop and to think how far we are from what the founding fathers intended. So can you screw things up in 300 years? You bet your sweet bippy you can. (laughs) So just because they did it, I don't sign off on it because there's a few things I go, no, no, no. Well, they did, I don't care what they did. You know, our standard is the scripture. Some of these things, and I'll point out some of these as we go along, so anyway, Lent is one of these things that there's a Christian tradition. For example, Easter, celebrating that, Christmas, celebrating that. There's all kinds of things churches do today that are not recorded in the Scriptures, and we are never told to celebrate any of these days. The early church fathers did, have passed on through history. We still do it to this day. It's fine. It's consistent with the Scriptures. I like Christmas. Some of you have said, wait for your presents, but I like Christmas. <coughs> Easter, all these things are wonderful things. And Lent is something new that we started doing. Because it's consistent with the idea of of, of repentance and being serious, and some of this comes from what we're going to read in the scripture today. Let's take a look. Mark Mark, the first chapter, verse nine through thirteen. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So here he comes. He's baptized by John in the Jordan River. Um, When we talk about, we're talking a little bit about baptism today, as we. I got all kinds of rabbit trails here this morning. There's nothing new there. Uh, Talk a little bit about baptism. And uh, there's all kinds of theology and reasons why to be baptized. People have reasons. My reason is really simple. Jesus did it, and he told us to do it. I don't really care about the other reasons. That's just me, you know. The boss did it. I think we should do what the boss says, okay? So, well, I think that really care what anybody thinks. I don't care what some of the Christians think. We should do it. The Bible says to do. It. Jesus did it himself. You don't think it was anybody who didn't need to be baptized. It's Jesus, pretty sure. but he did it nonetheless and commanded that we too should do it. Now you can get into all kinds of studies on the wise if you are so inclined. I might touch on that from time to time. I'm not going to this morning, but he does it. So just as Jesus is coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. We're talking about, and, and uh, John the Baptist sees this, and the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is a rather dramatic <laughs> baptism to say the least. Uh, that doesn't normally happen. Uh, <clears throat> but then right away, at once the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. There's other portions of the gospel to get more into detail in that. And was with the wild animals and angels attended with him. Uh, And that's all it says. I've pointed out this many times and will continue till the day I die uh, to battle those who say the Bible is just a book of stories. If these are storytellers, these are the worst storytellers in the history of mankind. Because a story gives you detail and drama and fills in the blanks. uh, And the Bible hardly gives you any of that. Seriously? Wild animals and angels? I'd like a little information here. What happened? They don't tell us. It just says it happened. Uh, there's just not a lot of detail. There's a few places in the Bible where they give you an account and start giving you details, but it's pretty light. The most dramatic one is in the book of Acts, where you've got the Gospels and then Acts of the Apostles. It's the history of the early church, what they did. Uh, there's a, a section in there where Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he's also writing the book of Acts, describes this uh, storm and shipwreck that Paul is involved in. If you've never read it, it's really rather dramatic. It reads like a novel. And I mean, this happened, and that happened, and then the winds started doing this, and we had to do this to the ship. And then they're measuring the depth, and it's so, so deep. And then it's, and it's quite as deep. So, because they can tell they're running aground. They know they're running aground. Dun, 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 dun. You can almost hear the music going on, right? Why does he do this there? I don't know. Except that he was actually on that ship at the time little first-hand knowledge probably gave them the freedom to get into the deal. It's really fun to read, but that is not the typical Bible account. Most Bible accounts, this happened, that happened, they just moved on. So anyway, so Jesus does this. So there's this 40 days. This is where this idea of Lent comes in. They did this in the patristic period, the first 300 years of Christianity, in preparation for Easter and for baptism. A lot of people would get baptized at Easter. We do this as well, by the way. If you haven't been baptized... You really should. We're going to have a baptismal service as is always during Holy Week on that Wednesday before Easter, and all the people who were preparing for this did this forty days, and then eventually the church adopted it as tradition. And now we all do this. Well, we those who just choose to <laughs> do this forty-day observance, and you know we don't fast completely like Jesus did for forty days, but it's a time where. Uh, Christians will give up things and stuff, kind of little mini fasts, something you really like to do, but you don't let yourself do it for 40 days. It's a little miserable, but that's what fasting is. Fasting is not exactly a party, you know, (laughs) especially when you're not eating anything at all. It really sucks, I got to tell you. But because I I like to fast in between meals, but when you go straight through, and even then I can't even do that. You know what I'm saying? So, so when you just, I'm not going to eat anything for all day or a couple of days, that's a big deal. Or some people will give up chocolate or this or that, you know, during something they really like to do during the season of Lent. It's a way just to tell your body, shut up. You don't run this place. I run this place. And we're going to put our attention to God. Uh, if you add the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, it's... Much more than 40 days, almost 50 days, or 48, whatever it is, I counted yesterday. Uh, What's the difference? Well, Sundays don't count. That's the tradition. So the beautiful thing is whatever you give up for Lent, today you can enjoy. Hallelujah. Now, that doesn't mean if you gave up wine today, you can get hammered, all right? But it just means, you know, okay, why? The tradition is we always celebrate the resurrection on Sunday, so not a day for fasting. So that's what we do. And if you take Sundays out of it, then it is exactly 40 days to the Saturday before Easter. All right, so that's why we observe that. And by the way, some of these liturgical things that we do, very light things, the Apostles' Creed, the main reason I even brought in the Creed, for those of you who remember when we first started doing this, I oh, was it 10 years ago? Uh, because a big study came out that said evangelical children uh, by their first or second year in college overwhelmingly, no longer believe anything that we taught. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe any. I mean, it was shocking the report that came out. And I was so struck by that. And I thought, you know, I can go down to one of our many bar establishments, which Wisconsin has quite a few, and sit next to somebody who's a little toasted, half four sheets to the wind, And he still knows about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. You know why? Because from the time he was yay big, he recited the Apostles' Creed. And it was drilled into him. And I thought, you know, we're going to start drilling. And those of you, when I said, well, we're going to start doing the Apostles' Creed, we started doing it. I said, I ain't doing this for you. I'm doing this for your kids. Drill it into them. Get the basics inside of them. And that's why we started doing it. again, I didn't know it was convergent or whatever you call it. I wasn't trying to be anything. I was. It was just a great. And this goes way back too. It's one of the earliest recorded things that Christians did, which was that creed. Uh, Now, and just for the record, I know there's a version of liturgical Christianity that is just, in my opinion, death. It's cold. It's mechanical. It's repetitious. It's all about doing this, that, jing, 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 and getting out of the place. That that is not anything that we have every intention of, as long as I'm still breathing to ever get into anything like that. We just want to do things that are meaningful and uh, will increase and encourage people's faith. All right. So um, jumping out to first Peter, Peter writes about this idea of baptism in the uh, third chapter of, of his first letter, starting at verse 18, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. This is the biggest swap and deal in history. The best deal you can ever swap is with Jesus. He gives up, uh, you go, he takes your sins and you take his righteousness. Everything that's right about Jesus, we get. Everything that's wrong about us, he gets. I love this deal. This would be a great deal. Um, anyone have a deal? anywhere near that? I'm signing up. All right. So this is the greatest deal for people ever, if we'll simply believe. Jesus, he says, was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. That's what we're talking. He he descended to the dead. uh, And to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. So he says, he goes down, he preaches, and including to all those before the flood. And he mentions Noah, and out of all this time, only eight people we're uh, saved through this. Now, we get together and we talk every week about the scriptures that we're going to preach on uh, on Sunday. And uh, with our, all our pastors and some other pastors around the country join with us on these Zoom things. These are pretty cool now. The Zoom thing is, I wish I had stock on that thing before all this started. right? But it's really trying to be a positive way of meeting. And I'm sure even after this is all blown over, people will continue to meet this way because it's a great way to get people together. So we meet, and we were discussing about it. One of the pastors on there said, you know, he was studying some Jewish rabbis, and the Jewish rabbis were saying they felt that Noah was a failure because of all that time, it took him however long to build this ark. It was a very long time. He could only get eight people on there with him, and that talked about we should not be those kinds of people that we just keep our faith to ourselves and bring no one with us. Okay, I think it's a great analogy. We certainly don't want to be like that, but I don't think that's really the case. I don't think it's it's such a matter of Noah being a lousy evangelist as how wicked people were. Uh, I don't think we can even begin to get around our heads how horrible it was. It was to the point that God literally did a reset on creation, wiped everything out to start over again. It had gotten so bad, and we're just talking about a bunch of naughty people. It was Unbelievably horrible, and particularly the Bible says incredibly violent. The level of violence and torture and the horrible thing—I don't know—you know. Sometimes you travel around, and you go to these. We were just in uh, St. Augustine, in Florida, uh, and then we were in Germany uh, a couple, of, a few years ago, and you go to these, some of these medieval torture chamber museums. It is stunning. People are really rather creative in ways that they can kill people and torture them. It's horrifying. Just going through something like that. Well, can you imagine before the flood, this was normal life for everybody. It, was, it got so bad that God Almighty said, we got to reset this thing. So I, I think the reason that uh, Noah only had eight guys on there, I don't think we could even get around our heads how horrible life had become on this earth and this gigantic reset. So he says, he, Noah did this and was saved through the water. He came through this massive flood and him and his family were saved, and and mankind started all over again. Um, And he says, and this water, in verse 21, he says, symbolizes baptism, that now also, that saves you also. Now, some people will end right there, particularly some of strong liturgical people, and say, well, the baptism is how you get saved. And there's people who literally believe that. They believe once you get baptized, even as an infant, that that moment you are now saved. No, they are just, I don't know what to say. We can disagree, but they're just wrong. That's not how you get saved. He goes on to explain what he's talking about. He says, not the removal of dirt from the body. He's not talking about the water, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It's a place of faith. It's because by being born again, we follow Jesus Christ, we accept him into our lives, and then we do what he told us to do, which is to be baptized. It's the first step, really, of the Christian faith. Once you become a believer, you need to put it at the top of your list. I now need to become baptized baptized. That is what he is talking about. Um, uh, It also saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Clearly, that's the main thing. Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Anyway, this idea of infant baptism has been debated beyond any level that you can really move people forward. It's, It's kind of like trying to get Republicans and Democrats to agree about anything today. Uh, you know, people are just, they've got their positions. And all you got to do is get on Facebook and watch people go psychotic on each other. And, and, and by the way, let me encourage you. Uh, I've actually gotten nicer on Facebook because it's hard not to want to punch people in the face because people seem so incredibly stupid. But you know why I softened up? Because we started praying this prayer at the end of each service now. Heavenly Father, grant that we may not so much seek to be understood as to understand. If you are still on Facebook slamming the snot out of people who you consider, and probably righteously so, morons, <laughs> stop it. Okay? Try to understand people more than trying to demand that you be understood. Some of you are really struggling with this still because I read your posts. And uh, <laughs> half of me is going, yeah, nothing, Mark, be nice. you know. So we need to try and be where we can understand. So anyway, this idea of Infant baptisms have been debated. Uh, and by the way, again, I said we're talking Roman Catholicism. Nay, nay, nay. I'm telling you, there are millions of liturgical type Christians who are Protestants who believe in everything we believe who still baptize babies. It's quite silly. The more I study this, the more I'm realizing, because again, I was raised Roman Catholic like most of you. I just agree that's the only thing that's out there. It's not. There's all kinds of versions of this everywhere. And they still baptize infants. And they believe, you know, that. So, and so here's their version of why they baptize infants. And when you listen to it, even I go, okay. So their deal is, it is one of the earliest things the church did in that first 300 years. Again, just because they did it doesn't mean it's right. In fact, one of the last words out of the apostles were, be careful because all kinds of crazy stuff's coming. And I think that's one of the things that got them a little bit off base. When you think, now I'm saved because my daddy sprinkled water on me, you know, first of all, then you're only saved in spots. I'm no, just kidding. Uh, So, so, (laughs) always a smart aleck. So, uh, so anyway, the idea was, you know, they're tying into the uh, faith of the parent, that they're joining the covenant of the parent, and they're baptized then into that sphere of faith, of the devout faith of the parents. And then, then they said, well, when do they as adults make their own decisions? That's what they're referring to when they say they are confirmed. They are now confirmed that they are now making their own choice and buying into the faith that they, parents experience as a baby. And that I can offer grace and I understand it and I'm not going to fight these guys on it. I think in practicality it fails miserably because most of these confirmations are done when these children are still very young children. And they are still absolutely under the influence of their parents, and they are not making their own decisions. So while on paper it sounds reasonable, in practice it still fails miserably. I was baptized very young, I uh, was confirmed and stuff, and I had no idea what was going on. So uh, at some point, you as an adult have to make a decision. And one of the reasons I encourage children, and a lot of people are very quick to want to get their children baptized, I, you can do what you want. We'll be there with you. I just encourage. You say, well, they're, they old don't know what they're doing. I, I just... I would delay as, as much as, I personally, from my own standpoint, there are a lot of people, in fact, we were just at man camp, guys that got baptized, and they're saying, I did this younger, but I didn't know what I was doing, and I want to do it again. Okay. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but I was I would really wait till they're a place of a young man, a young woman, where they clearly are making, I want to make this decision, and, and do that kind of, because then we're really following the biblical example of believing and being baptized. He who believes and is baptized. And again, if you have not done this, you should do it. And you should contact the church and set it up so you can join us that Wednesday during Holy Week, where people will be getting baptized at all our different campuses. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing. For those of you who are actually consider yourself part of our church that watch all over the country and the world, um, you know, there should be some uh, people that in your local community, you can go to some pastors and say, would you baptize me? And you really ought to do it. Uh, and if you certainly have the means, fly here. I will baptize you personally. And, uh, and, and really, I mean, it's really not ridiculous. It's, it's, you know, you can do this. People travel all over the world all the time for all kinds of reasons, usually to go see Mickey Mouse. But uh, if you're coming to the country and you're going to go visit Mickey Mouse, start with the first mouse and then go to the other mouse. And, uh, and I will baptize you. So, I mean, it's something you need to do, all right? It's Im- important that we do that. So anyway, that's... And anyway, that, the argument I can concede. The problem, again, in practice, is you're assuming the faith of the parent was really legit. And so It just falls apart all over the place. A lot of people, I mean, my mother and father eventually became Christians many years later. They had us baptized when they were about as Christian as your neighbor's cat you know, and they're just doing, you know, the mechanicals. That's the problem with liturgical Christianity. We all have problems at various levels, but the problem with that is just you pull a bunch of levers and you're okay. No, no, you have to have faith without faith, without experiencing God, without being born again, without having the life of God in you. All of it means nothing. You have to have that. In the context of that, if you do some of this, then all then great. Fabulous. All right. Good preaching, Pastor Mark. I'll continue. All right, so then we get to uh, three minutes here. I may go long because I always do. Genesis, the ninth chapter. So let's talk about this Noah event that uh, uh, Peter refers to as a sign of baptism. Like he was saved through the water, so we're saved through baptism. But again, as an act of faith, not just because someone stuck stuck us in the water. So in Genesis 9, this is after the flood. Uh, Verse 8, God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood and never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God establishes a covenant with them and we too have a covenant with God by faith through Jesus Christ in Uh, prayer, belief, baptism, and all the other things that we do in worship. All right, Uh, And God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. And he goes on and on talking about this covenant uh, and this sign. Uh, And this is, I'm gonna end with a little bit of a rabbit trail, only just to kind of encourage all of us, uh, after this major event to which Peter ties this idea of salvation, I've explained it, okay. um, It's interesting that he puts uh, a promise in this covenant, and it's the rainbow. We often tell it to children You know, and often even we've talked about it, God put a rainbow in the sky to remind us. But if you notice what we read here, it's not to remind us. It's to remind himself. You say, God needs to be reminded? Apparently. Now, it's not because he's old and has signs of Alzheimer's, all right? Uh, The reality, and and I say this, and now I'm speaking to couples now, and I just want to give you a little encouragement, because if there's one area that can just irritate the snot out of, husbands and wives, as having to remind each other of stuff. And we assume, I have to remind because he doesn't care. Uh, No, it's not that he doesn't care or she doesn't care. It's just that what it means to remind is to take what's in your head and just bring it to the forefront. That's all it means. If God Almighty needs to be reminded, and by the way, this idea of asking God to remember is throughout the entire Bible, particularly the Old Testament, how many times they would pray, oh Lord, remember your promises to us. They would always remind God of what he said. When we pray and you quote scriptures, you're reminding God of what he said. He loves that. You're just sticking it right in the forefront of his mind. So if almighty God needs to be reminded, I think your husband and children do too. All right? It doesn't mean they're evil, and it doesn't mean they don't care. All these things that we go psychotic on each other. We as human beings need to remind each other. Oftentimes, I will preach things, and you say, "Why is he repeating that?" Because he said this before. Because I'm reminding you. Uh, Paul, at one point, in the Scripture says, "You know, I'm remind. I know you know these things." He says, "But I'm reminding you. It's good to be reminded." And be brought some of the reasons we have uh, announcements that are repeated several times. Why? To remind people. It's just the way we're built. We are in the image of God. There's something about this need to bring to the forefront. God Almighty himself said, I'm going to put." And every time I say that, I go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. And even God throughout the Old Testament would talk about, I remembered my covenant, the promise I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This idea of reminding is a positive thing when we remind each other and encourage each other. And by the way, from a pastor's standpoint, you know they say you've got to say something seven times before anybody remembers it? So me to mention something true three times don't mean Jack. And by the way, Half the people who are hearing it for the third time are surrounded by people who are hearing it for the first time, right? So there'll be, there's, there's, there is a degree of repetition that you will hear in any gathering of people of faith. But this is good. This is healthy. We either, you are learning it for the first time or you need to be reminded because you're hearing it for the 30th time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. One of those things we are about to do right now. We're about to take communion together. Why do we do this every Sunday? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because he knows us. We need to be reminded. We need to bring Why are we here? What is all this about? It is always about what Jesus Christ did on that cross for us. His body broken for us. His blood shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. So we're getting ready to take communion together. And... Uh, Before we take communion, uh, the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves, to reflect, and kind of see where we're at with God. And so every Sunday we pray just a general prayer of forgiveness. And as I pray this prayer of forgiveness, if there's something specific that when you bow your head and pray and you think, you know, the Holy Spirit says, you know, you shouldn't have said that to that guy or you you forgot to do it. And just in your own personal words, whisper to God, Father, forgive me for this failure or whatever. I always encourage, keep short accounts with God. Don't let things go and build and build and build. And Every Sunday is a great opportunity to remember what we're doing and why we're doing it. So let's bow our heads as we uh, uh, pray this prayer over everyone. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in any way, Father, thought, word, or deed, something we've done that we should not have done, Something that we left undone that we should have done. Maybe we haven't loved others as we've loved ourselves. For the sake of your beloved son Jesus who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we ask you have mercy on us and forgive us of all of our sins. Strengthen us, O Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Keep us in eternal life that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as we're all in an attitude of prayer and our heads up about right now. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online, whatever, at one of our campuses. And you're thinking, you know, I've, I've never really done any of this. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come in your life, why don't you do that right now? Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins so that you can start this wonderful journey of faith and experiencing God's incredible forgiving grace that he makes available to all of us in the, on because of his work on that cross. Amen.